kill you. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this week's edition of Auntie Nanny, which is the second one of the new year, and it started a little late. Thank you, Skype and Microsuck. How are you this week, Very? I'm, I'm good, apart from <laughs> audio issues happening all over the place. I uh, ah, I gotta Microsoft. tell you, I'm I'm really disappointed with uh, Skype and um, all the rest of the stuff. And of course, I'm really sad. We've lost a lot of really talented people in the last week or so. Yeah, and a lot of really good people. And um, Jeannie is not going to be here tonight for obvious reasons. Um, well, I guess we should just get started, huh? Not like there's much time. Thank you, Microsoft. Um, this wasn't on the list of stories I wanted to do, but I do want to do it. Um, tech giants in battle against UK government over surveillance program. The UK government drafted a plan for new law that would legalize hacking deeds on computer systems by law enforcement authorities. Giant tech companies such as Google, Facebook, and Microsoft, just to name a few, are ready to riot according to a report by ZDNet. Provided with a warrant, Armed Forces, Police, and Security Services, according to the Draft Investigatory Powers Bill, or I guess that's the Snoopers Charter, Barry? Yes, that's it. Okay. We would be able to hack computer systems based in the UK, but also abroad, abroad in order to re- retrieve useful intelligence. The government reasons that the need for intercepting encrypted communications between criminals requires law enforcement authorities to be guaranteed the freedom of obtaining data as part of the wider Internet surveillance legislation, even through hacking. Tech companies, on the other hand, are concerned that the plan might establish a dangerous precedent for other countries and will create conflicting legal obligations between countries, leaving companies unable to decide which jurisdiction to comply with. It might also anger customers who trust the security of their services. <laughs> Does anybody really trust the security of their services? And may be impossible to implement in any case. Facebook, Microsoft, Twitter, and Yahoo appealed to the Committee of MPs, which is examining the legislation, warning that the predicament would lead to a treacherous path scattered with terms and conditions of use clauses and subclauses. 
In other words, it seems to add a parachute, a layer of risks and vulnerabilities on every product and service provided. At the same time, companies recognize the lack of protection guaranteed over cybersecurity and against vulnerabilities that could later be exploited. Apple highlighted how this could cause diplomatic rows when a warrant is emitted by a country and executed by another in the search for sensitive data. The government needs to clear the air around how the powers in the bill will be applied, especially because the legislation they want to put in place could endanger users' privacy and security, but not only in the UK. Vodafone indicated how the equipment interface elements are probably the most controversial of all the powers attributed to authorities by the draft bill and questioned that this will largely reduce communications companies' freedom to operate their services and will, moreover, force them to have a backdoor in all products and services provided to customers. High indignation in the air, or either. I don't even understand that. And it does not stop there. Vodafone added that such interferences into users' privacy would require an operator to be involved in the data intercepting operations, creating a stark contraindication where service providers who should protect customers' data are in fact the main responsible, mainly mainly responsible for security breaches and vulnerable exploitations. Another set of challenges was stressed by Firefox maker Mozilla, who argued that on one hand, bulk systems intrusion opens the unexpected delivery of malware to users. On the other opposite hand, Mozilla's open source nature would mean that if the software developer were to create a version of Firefox that was modified to prevent surreptitious intrusion subject to a government order, certainly the Mozilla community will find out. Is the draft legis- is the draft bill legislating mass surveillance dangerously limiting long sought for fundamental freedoms? The Orwellian theorem seems closer than ever. You can tell the person who wrote that English is not their first language. No. <laughs> um, but I mean, I think they got a lot of stuff right, which is unusual. Yeah, yeah, they've pointed out the essential truth that politicians have scumbag as their major language. so there is no upside to this and the more countries that sign off on this sort of thing the worse it is for you and the country that you live in yeah pretty much so yeah uh the superstructure is a horrible thing and i i just i cannot believe that woman uh, i just can't believe she home secretary yeah I just can't believe she just talks about it like it's something normal. That's not normal. She's she's trying hard to become the next leader of the conservatives. So yeah, she Good. she wants a nice big policy on her under her uh, wing. Good God! That's basically That's... one of the things it comes down to. She she's oh. wanting to show she's tough. Yeah, and she's ready to lead. tough. She, but. <laughs> Well, I, I guess in your country, the Conservative Party is full of people that most people hate. Yeah. Oh, okay. Then she's the off to a bang party, start. The Conservative Party's a bit like the Tea Party over your way. But they wear nicer suits. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> I, I I gotta tell you, I'm, um, I'm starting to think... Um, starting to think a lot of people had a good idea about um, just being apolitical. It's starting to seem like a better and better idea. Yeah. Um, because the major parties you have to choose from are outright evil and controlling and outright evil and controlling. And that's no matter where you go. Well, over here, we also have weak and ineffectual as a third choice. 
Did did, did uh, the monster raving looting party? Did they die officially? No, no, no. They're still going. <laughs> they actually run a couple of uh, councils. Um, well, some of the few councils might, in the UK that are actually not in debt. In fact, well, they might not be the worst choice then. Monster raving loony party. Well, they sound better than most of the politicians we have to choose from here. Yeah. At least they're mm-hmm. honest and upfront about what they are. Mm. <laughs> There's something to be said for that. Okay. Um, so, remember VTech? Yes. They got hacked a few months ago. I thought this was ironic. Hacked toy company VTech. Let us monitor your house. Last year, an anonymous hacker broke into the systems of VTech, a company that makes internet-connected toys, tablets, and baby monitors. The hacker was able to access the personal data of more than 6 million kids, as well as more than 4 million parents, including tens of thousands of pictures taken with the company's KidConnect app, which encourages children and parents to take selfies and chat online. Less than two months later, VTech is now launching a whole suite of new internet-connected devices designed to monitor your house, and the company is promising this time it won't leave personal data of its customers exposed to hackers. <laughs> uh, this week at the Consumer Technology Show in Las Vegas, VTech unveiled a series of new devices including monitoring cameras, smart light bulbs, and a slew of sensors for doors, switches, and curtains. We're going to stick chips in curtains now? All these devices are designed to work with a single smartphone app that will allow parents to check on their kids and record video if they want. Look who wants to help you monitor and secure your house. Um, On Thursday, a reporter dropped by VTech's booth to check out its new products and asked how it plans on making them more secure than the toys and tablets that were recently hacked. Asked if they were worried about another hack, Brian Tompkins, the company's vice president of sales, that said that for any company that sells a product that's cloud-based or internet-connected, there's always a worry or a fear. But this time, VTech is going through penetration tests by a third party, and everything is going to be very secure, added Chris Conrad, VTech's product marketing director. A spokesperson later confirmed to me that VTech is working with a third-party vendor to thoroughly test the security of all their products and to learn from last year's hack. The spokesperson, however, declined to name who the vendor is and what kind of tests they're performing. Troy Hunt, a security expert who helped Motherboard analyze the data stolen from VTech and also briefly reviewed their online system security, said that this is a big step forward, given that there was definitely no penetration testing done on the toys. The incident last year may well improve the home security products they've as they've now had their wake-up call, he told me in an email. But it worries me how well a company that had such an endemic lack of security across their organization, even down to the difficulty in contacting them, is going to completely turn that around for this product. Some on Twitter were less than articulate, but just as skeptical. The devices are still in development and will be released over the summer. Hopefully that will be enough time for VTech to make sure that another hacker, which might not be as well-intentioned as the previous one, can't easily get into their customers' data. Yeah. (laughs) Raise your hand if you trust VTech. (laughs) Uh, No, I I don't. I don't trust them at all. I don't know how anyone with a brain in their head could trust them. Well, this kind of confirms. Previously, they basically had no security Mm -hmm. to speak of. So now now they've thought, yeah, yeah, we, we better have some security. Security sounds like a good idea. What what happens if we say that we're secure? Yeah, that sounds like a security step. Oh god, 
Jesus, these people are stupid. And they're selling it to people that are less well-informed. I mean, I think the people that listen to this are a little better informed than most people. Oh, and, and of course, for these home security products, mm-hmm. there, there is the extra specter of um, government, you know, child protection agencies um, prosecuting parents for spying on their own children. Well, they could do that, but, you know, um, what is up with David Cameron saying that all the parents in your country need to get parenting classes? <laughs> this is from <laughs> a man who left his daughter in a pub. Huh? For, um, a couple of years back, he, right. he was campaigning, mm-hmm. and he was out, and he had his daughter with him. And <laughs> he went away and left his daughter in the pub. So he can't talk to anybody about needing parenting classes. Well, I don't think he can either. I'm just amazed that he made the statement and said that they're going to do it. I'm like, really? You know, like I said, conservatives are kind of like the Tea Party. Uh, They're just nuts. I I don't know. I don't think. Honestly, I don't think the Tea Party is is nuts on every level. I mean, I think you have nuts in in every party. Oh yeah, not but, every conservative's batshit crazy. <laughs> Just the ones that end up in charge and in the media. You know, here's the thing: I can't imagine wanting to be in charge. You, you've got to have something fundamentally wrong with you to want to be in charge of any of us in any country. Well, you see, <laughs> no, in, I'm in the UK. Like the Conservatives and most, a great deal of the politicians, they have been trained from birth to be leaders as such. Uh, you have similar things in the USA. You know, your, you know, people go to the private schools. Yeah. Um, all they're taught about is, oh, you'll be leading people, your future, <laughs> that kind of thing. And yeah, I went to a private school. Insane. I never got that education. Yeah. Because, yeah, David Cameron, private school, up until he went to Eton, which is a private school. (laughs) And he went off to, I can't remember if it's Oxford or Cambridge, but one of those. So, Uh, and he did politics, and he's never had a real job, he's never had to worry about money, he's been told all his life that he will be leading the country, you know. And now he's leading the country. Badly. I, I don't I, I just love that story about him though. Yeah. That that it that seems like the choice a person would make who had no idea that wasn't something you're supposed to do. Yeah. I'm just saying. Um I don't actually I probably have time to do the the, the Amtrak worker story really quick. Um Feds paid Amtrak worker to spy on passengers. The U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration inappropriately paid an Amtrak employee more than $850,000 over 20 years to provide information on passengers who may be smuggling drugs, according to a report from the Justice Department's Office of Inspector General. The OIG also released a separate report saying the DEA arranged to pay a government airport screener to act as a confidential source. The screener, however, never provided information of any value to the DEA. 
But the OIG's problem with these arrangements wasn't that transportation officials were reporting people's actions to the DEA. Instead, the OIG said it made no sense for the DEA to pay these people for information as they're already required by law to offer it up for free. The OIG determined that over a period of 20 years, the DEA paid the Amtrak employee $854,460 as of January 2014 for information that was available at no cost to the government in violation of federal regulations relating to the use of government property, thereby wasting substantial government funds. Um, Here's the PDF of what they wrote for people in the chat who are curious. The report did find, however, that the DEA went too far at one point by asking the Amtrak employee to gather specific information, which I don't know how you can ask them to provide specific information. Um, The OIG made a similar argument in the case of the TSA worker. The OIG also found that the TSA security screeners were obligated to report to law enforcement to law enforcement suspected criminal activity that they observed in the course of their duties, the report said. Therefore, by registering a TSA security screener as a confidential source, the DEA agreed to pay for information that the screener was already obligated to provide to law enforcement. The report did say that the DEA inappropriately asked the airport screener to report passengers carrying large sums of money in exchange for a reward based on the money seized by the DEA. That violated internal DEA procedures and may have violated the people's right to be free of unreasonable searches and seizures. The OIG released a audit report last July on its findings in both cases up to that point. There's no shock there. It, um, it really makes me think that all this surveillance stuff, all this constant watching, watching what we do, watching what we type, listening to what we say, has absolutely nothing at all to do with things like, I don't know, security. Um, It has something to do with control, but I think it has a lot more to do with money. Yeah. It's like as governments go more and more broke, this is going to be more and more of of how they do things. You know what I mean? How they gather their money and how they, you know, try to stem the hemorrhage that they're having of money out with nothing coming in. Does that make sense? Yeah. It would help, however, if they stopped paying people for things they're supposed to be doing anyway. There you go. Using reason and logic again. You're never going to be a comp. You're never going to be a politician, Barry. Never, yeah. ever, ever. Not with that well, attitude. This isn't even politicians. It's I know. The, the, the DEA uh <laughs> don't know their own regulations and they don't know the law <laughs> which is kind of worrying since they're a law enforcement agency well I mean I think the laws are pretty badly written in my country I mean I think they're badly written everywhere but I think they're really doesn't badly really, written here doesn't and matter like... if they're badly written if the DEA aren't actually paying any attention to them <laughs> Well, I mean, they're random. For one thing, they're randomly enforced, and then they're just written shitty, you know. And there is no if you're a government employee and a DA agent is obviously a government employee, there is no repercussion for you when you fuck up. They don't fire you, so they have no reason to strive to follow the letter of the law or to do better because there's no consequences for them when they screw up. Why do better when you don't have to? Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, government, the one job you can't be fired from. 
<laughs> it's amazing to me. Well, you but, can, but you have to be really, really, really exceptionally bad. <laughs> yeah, you do. There have to be yeah. lots of deaths or upset rich people. Um, yeah, especially seems to be bad if you piss off the people who, I don't know, the government is coziest with. Because yeah. they sure aren't doing anything for the poor of the middle class. Okay. Um, it's Unfortunately, it's almost seven, but I did bang through three stories so far, so that's good. Um, <laughs> so it's almost time for the CASA update, man. Tonight's show is going to just breeze by. Thank you, Skype. Right, I'll see if I can get to our... Uh, guests? Guests, <laughs> yes. Just be a moment, scrolling through lists of... Here we go. Um, it's going to be... I guess just a second. Um, Hello, Alex and Julie. Hello. Hi. Um, good evening and welcome to the CASA update for the week of 111 2016. Um, Julie, would you like to start off? I would. Um, I first would. off, thanks for allowing me to join the conversation tonight. Um, I wanted to share some really exciting news. And since I'm the executive director, I get to do that. Um, So Friday, we accepted Alex's resignation from our board of directors, um, which sounds like a really sad thing, but it's actually very exciting because as we accepted his resignation, he accepted our offer to become our full-time legislative coordinator, which is a paid position. So um, very exciting time for CASA. We'll have our first employee devoted full-time to our legislative and advocacy efforts. And this is really, you know, long overdue, actually, when I look back on 2015, but but terribly, terribly necessary um, for 2016. This is going to be even worse than last year, and last year was pretty brutal. So I wanted to share that good and exciting news, and, and um, I'm just so excited. I, I think it's a great thing. Alex has been a really, really huge help. He's done so much, and I can't believe we have somebody who's actually going to be devoted full-time to consumer advocacy and legislative it's it's just mind-blowing it's so huge you can do so much more when there's somebody who's just doing this all the time yeah and you know it's um well jan i mean you've been around forever you Uh you remember how we began Mm -hmm. and um i i remember back in the day i mean we've been doing this since what 2009 yep and um our board of course remains an all-volunteer um effort and mm-hmm. Alex is lonely as our only employee although I you know I am pretty much full time as yeah. a volunteer so he's not all alone but you know when I think about our modest beginnings this this really is pretty extraordinary I remember one meeting um where we had a member meeting and we were talking about how we had I don't know like fourteen thousand dollars in the bank and and yeah. We were all so excited, and somebody <laughs> said, well, that's like nothing. And we're like, oh, gosh, are you kidding? We remember when we had like $1,000 in the bank, and we yeah. were splitting 
splitting costs with other organizations to fly people to testify. So, um, yeah, this is pretty extraordinary. And I think that you're going to see CASA really upping its game because we, you know, we have to. Yeah. We have to. So anyway, that's why I wanted to join the conversation. I wanted to share the news um, and steal Alex's thunder so that he doesn't get to announce that I do. That's one of the few perks of my position. So with that, I'll let you guys get on with the, the update. And thank you for including me. Oh, thank you for coming on. Appreciate it. Thank you, Julie. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Julie. Bye. Well, so I'm, I'm, I'm finally here. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Fantastic. Okay. Um, so besides leaving Bandango, what is new and exciting this week, Alex? Uh, it's Bandago. Uh, that's Sorry. It's okay. Everybody does it. Um, okay. But, uh, yeah, I, I left a job of, uh, I had for nearly eight years to come wow. and uh, work for Kasak full-time. Um yeah. I'm excited. This is my first full day officially. Um, so, uh, yeah, and honestly, uh, it, it doesn't really feel like a first full day because uh, <laughs> I, I've been kind of doing this for at least the past year and a half. Yeah, you have. Um, <laughs> so, uh, anyway, yeah, I'll keep the, that short. Um, I, okay. I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm over the moon. Um, yeah. it's, just, it's, it's an honor to, it was an honor to have worked for the van rental company bandigo sorry if i'm yes. giving out too many plugs no. but uh it's it's also an honor to work for for Kisa and and for you guys to, to place your faith in me so um i'm gonna make the most of it and, and make sure we get what we need to get done that's awesome um, and uh so getting right to it um okay the uh the urgent uh alert right off the bat um alameda Alameda County, California, um, has two ordinances that are going to be, they are on the agenda for tomorrow, tomorrow night's meeting. Okay. Um, one of these is, uh, uh, licensing and, uh, this would require, uh, vapor shops to have a tobacco retail license. Right. Um, and there are several issues that come along with this, um, okay. not the least of which being, considered tobacco uh, and being mm. subject to all the other tobacco regulations, uh, I guess, at the, the county or even municipal level. Um, and, uh, of course, California is sort of the epicenter of, I, I guess it's the epicenter. It, it's likely it started somewhere else, but California right. is sort of the place where activists, anti-smoking activist groups have uh, advanced ordinances that regulate the concentration of tobacco retail shops. Right. So, you know, usually when these things are implemented, there's sort of a a, a cap put in Mm -hmm. place. And the idea is that over time that, that the density of tobacco sellers will, will decrease. I guess ultimately they, they hope that they can just phase out access to tobacco and nicotine products altogether. Um, which is called prohibition, yeah. essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, they, these, for, for uncreative people, they're very creative about stuff <laughs> um, and sort of sliding it in there. Yeah. Um, the other 
ordinance that they're going to um, look at. It's the wording I have on our, our alert is ordinance to include electronic smoking devices ugh, in <laughs> t tobacco sampling, tobacco retail, and smoking restrictions. So uh, basically a countywide indoor use ban and um, uh, it looks like this does carve out an exemption for vapor shops. I don't know if that's okay. changed. I know that this bill has kind of been around since December. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I'd have to look back at it again for the sampling part. Mm -hmm. I guess that was just tobacco sampling. Um, right. But, uh, yeah, even though it carves out that, that exemption for vapor shops, mm -hmm. uh, it's prohibits use in all kinds of other places that's somewhat unnecessary so uh, this is Alameda Cal County California and the meeting is tomorrow Tuesday okay. January 12th um, I guess it starts at 10:30 a.m. but this portion of the agenda doesn't actually start until 11 a.m. Okay. Um, and just a, a, a quick point um, we were contacted by a member of Supervisor Nate Miley's um, staff. Okay. So we actually have a California, an Alameda County supervisor who mm -hmm. wants people to come to this and oppose these ordinances. Um, oh. this, is, this is exceedingly rare. <laughs> yeah. we, we rarely ever have any kind of lawmaker reach out to us and say, hey, guys, send your friends. Um, so if you live anywhere in Alameda County, I, I strongly urge you to get to this meeting um, if for nothing else than to shake Supervisor Nate Miley's hands um, because he he sounds very supportive of, of vapor products and, and, of course, vapor vapors. Um, right. And uh, so, yeah, that's, that's pretty important. Yeah. Um, the other bits, not really updates. Obviously, we still want people to um, send emails to uh, you know, urge your congressmen and senators to support HR 2058. Right. And a little note about this: somebody actually posted something up in our Facebook group. Mm -hmm. um, I guess over the weekend. Okay. It was a TED talk, and it was given by uh, a former mayor. Uh, I believe of a, a California town, and um, he, he very he, the entire point of his his talk was actually take out a piece of paper and hand write a letter. Right. Um, so uh, obviously we encourage people to send emails, and the, mm -hmm. you know it's the 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 sheer volume of emails is what ultimately we hope has the impact, um, and, and that's why. You know, we use the advocacy tools we use mm -hmm. to generate a lot of participation. We have right. to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, a, a dozen emails isn't really going to make much of an impact. Mm -hmm. But to kind of, you know, by all means, please use our system and, and send an email. But while you're there, you know, take a look at the talking points. Take a, take a look at, at what we've written mm -hmm. and feel free to take that and write it out by hand and and slap it in an envelope, put a stamp on it, and actually mail it to your lawmakers. Mm -hmm. um, and you can actually use our site to kind of find out 
uh, contact information, you know, the address and so on for right. for for your your lawmakers. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I would strong, and I know that I know that folks in California did that, uh, you know, for their state legislature. You had mm-hmm. shops that were you know giving people. Um, you know, pen and paper, and and having them them write letters, and, and the shop would mail it in for them. So, um, uh, yeah, the, the the handwritten letters is what really gets people's attention. So, um, yeah. obviously, obviously, I can't provide you a link for a handwritten letter, um, <laughs> but uh, uh, certainly can encourage people to to take that action on their own. Right. Um, <clears throat> and uh, and then, of course, uh, we should mention this all the time going forward um the send an email to your attorney's general um your your attorney general uh sharing attorney general tom miller's statements on electronic cigarettes these are just the first two things on our website so um just want to make sure we get that as a reminder and then since we are in 2016 um just kind of started tracking things. We we actually just got a new uh, legislative tracking platform that I'm going to be sitting down and, and learning tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, but over the weekend, uh, before the weekend, actually, I got updates from our old tracking stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm going to get to Hawaii. I promise I'm going to get to Hawaii. The Hawaii mm-hmm. legislature starts in uh, nine days. I believe they start on the twentieth, okay. um, and there are. I want to. There's over a dozen bills that were carried over from last session, um, and I, I think there's a fear that some of these will move very, very quickly. Um, they've already kind of had a couple of hearings, so they may just kind of need one more. And some of the committees in in Hawaii. It's like two or three people, so it's not like a, it's not very difficult for them to, to get something through. Um, but the, the process is very strange, and this is something I ran into uh, last year. So I, I am going to make a concerted effort now that I have all the time in the world. Um, I, I'm going to make a concerted effort to, to try to stay on top of Hawaii this year. Okay. Um, but uh, New York is uh, the other one. A yeah. lot of these are carried over from last year, mm-hmm. um, but uh, you know, predictably, we're looking at you know companion bills uh, to raise the age to purchase mm-hmm. tobacco and e-cigarettes to 21. Those right. have been introduced. Um, let's see. There is let's see, a 1496, which sounds that is from last year. Mm-hmm. Um, this deceptively redefined smoking to include electronic cigarettes, mm-hmm. um, changes the definition of private club to be more in line with Tobacco 21, uh, and it generally changes other age requirements to be in line with Tobacco 21. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this one directs the Department of Health to commence to examine and evaluate the effects of electronic cigarettes on public health, which right. I think some of us can probably come up to come up with some preliminary conclusions to that one. Um, uh, let's see, another one I don't think is the, uh, I don't 
don't know if I don't know if the crazy all-out prohibition is back. Um, maybe they finally just gave up on that one. That one came back like <laughs> two years in a row. Right. Um, the uh, no, it is there is there is another one that's um, it's a six thirty-five. Uh, this is this would prohibit the sales of uh, bottled e-liquid, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only vapor products you would be able to buy would be the pre-filled cartridges not intended to be opened by consumers. Nice. Um, so that that's interesting. Um, and, of course, we have a tax bill. We have two tax bills. One is... Uh, oh, that's a, yeah, they're companion bills. Okay, S702 and A2221. Um the assembly bill has lots of sponsors. Um, so this redefines tobacco products to include anything containing tobacco or nicotine that is intended to or expected to be consumed. Um, and so this also raises the wholesale tax to 95% from so like the, you know, if you, uh, if you uh, just go ahead and, and include vapor products as a tobacco product currently it's a 75 percent wholesale tax on tobacco products but this also raises to 95 (laughs) percent um this bill would also jack up the tax on smokeless tobacco from two dollars an ounce to three dollars and 65 cents an ounce that's crazy um so yeah we've got we've got anti-tobacco harm reduction all over this bill Mm -hmm. or bills yeah um, what else do we got? Uh, there's another, you know, indoor use ban here. Uh, it's S2202, A5955. Uh, the Senate bill, uh, everybody's favorite, uh, state senator, uh, Kemp Hannon is signed on as a sponsor to that. He was the one that did the crazy all out prohibition. Um, right. So that's that's a predictable one, uh, and then that would provides an exemption for for retail stores. Um, this is actually the same as the other two bills uh, that I mentioned before. I think, uh, no, same as the. I'm not going to read these numbers. It's all going to sound like soup. Um, so the last one on my list here is another one to be conscious of. Um, it's again companion bills S50 S. 5221 and A5164. Uh, this would prohibit retailers from selling electronic cigarettes for less than the listed price. So no more weekend blowout sales, no more happy hour, no coupons. Um, you just have to sell it for the list price. Right. Um, and uh, that is something I would expect to see in other states going forward, um, mm-hmm. those kinds of rules apply to cigarettes no no coupons um depending on where you live um but somehow they still send i I guess in some states it's okay so i I remember seeing people have uh they've received coupons in the mail from cigarette companies um so uh it's a state-to-state thing so yeah uh all that to say that uh new york looks to be pretty busy this year (laughs) there's a shocker yeah (laughs) Um, you were talking about the state attorney generals. Mm-hmm. Um, can I just make a, a reading recommendation for people? Oh, yeah, please. Okay. 
Um, if you go to Google and type in Forbes, the house that tobacco built, you'll find out all about the history of the state attorney general's office and tobacco, um, which kind of leads into what they're doing now with e-cigarettes and tobacco harm reduction. Um, there are other stories about that, but that's going to give you the background on how involved they are with tobacco and why and what kind of money they make from it and what they do with it. It's, it's a fairly interesting read. Yeah, I think I remember that I just, uh, I just Googled this. I, I, I feel like I read, read this before, but, uh, yeah, this is all master settlement agreement, right? Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's very interesting. And of course, you know, early on, I think, uh, or last year, not early on, but I think last year there was, I, I don't know if the attorneys general actually believe that they can do this, but it seemed like they were trying to bring vapor companies into, into that the ma- yeah. settlement. Which yeah, is they were. Just <laughs> ridiculous. Um, I don't. I, it's it's not, amazing. Yeah, they can't do that. Um, so uh, yeah, that's uh, that's very good background. Yeah, I just thought it was a, it's an interesting read. Just if you want to know, you know, why so many of them are, are anti-tobacco harm reduction, um, that it, the amount of money is staggering that they've made with us. So, you know, I guess where there's money to be made, uh, health doesn't matter. No. Unfortunately. No. But, I, I, you know, I even, I got a, a message from a friend, uh, you know, the Facebook announcement went out today that, uh, that I'm now working for CASA and, uh, I got a message from a friend who lives in London and, uh, you know, she recently quit smoking by switching to e-cigarettes and, uh, mm-hmm. in 21 days. And I responded with like, you know, well, I hope that the most effective products are still going to be available for you by the end of the year. Um, right a lot going on with the TPD and she says, yeah, I know it's it's like, you know, they just care about their money. So, you know, even somebody that just showed up to this whole conversation (laughs) can see it. Um, pretty amazing. It's, uh, it's, um, it's blatantly obvious. So, and it's nice that new people can see it. I'm excited about that. I mean, uh, there's no hiding it really. And maybe that'll motivate people to stand up. I know. I don't know if any lawmakers actually listen to our update. Um, they should, though. We put out <laughs> good information. Uh, right. But if you if you do happen to be a lawmaker and you you feel inclined to propose a, a tax bill on these products or anything that would essentially protect existing cigarette sales, just come out with it. And I, I know that I think there was a lawmaker from Alabama last year right. that, that mm-hmm. just like blatantly said. Uh, the state needs money. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, it doesn't really make it, an, you know, a, a sweeter pill to swallow. But, um, right. you know, at least just be honest with us. This is, you know, really yeah. not, not much to do with protecting public health. Agreed. And I think, well, I was always taught honesty is the best policy. And, uh, yeah, lawmakers yeah. maybe could learn something from uh, that. Who knows? But anyway, I'm is is that it for this week, Alex? Uh, I think so. Um, okay. I'm sure the rest of the week will be uh, even more exciting. So we'll have a lot more to talk <laughs> about next Monday. 
Uh, excellent. Um, I'm so excited that you're here full time doing this now. Thank you so much. Um, I'm so excited. This is so awesome. And <laughs> uh, we'll see you next week. Yeah, great. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Good night. Do you know what's really sad about all this, Very? What? I have I have to beg everybody from Casada to add me as a contact again. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is gone. Everything is gone. So, um, thanks. Uh, yeah, no, it, it is blatant. Um, the search for money is the driving force in a lot of the things we see, and in a lot of the things I think that we don't see, and. I know I talk about a lot of stuff here that is horribly depressing and, and some of it's really boring. The reason a lot of the stuff is really boring is because the easiest way to hide something evil is to stick it in the middle of something boring. Um, and the more boring you make stuff, the less people will pay attention. But um, the reason we talk about all this stuff is because it deserves a second look. Um for instance, we were talking about California when Alex came on. There is a state with totally fucked up priorities, in my opinion. Uh, just a bit. Um, you know, they've got they've got massive methane clouds spewing all over the place from this ranch. And now they're saying not only is methane spewing out of this, uranium is now spewing out of this this blowout too. They've got a massive water shortage, and when they do have rain, they have massive mudslides. Their energy consumption is ridiculous, and it's about the highest you'll pay for any sort of utilities in any of the states. The taxes are the highest in any of the states, and it's also supposed to be one of the largest GDPs on planet Earth is California, and it's broke as fuck. Oh, yeah. And all of this shit is happening and going on, and yet they're choosing to focus on lifestyle diseases. That is fucking bullshit. I'm sorry. Now that my editorial phase of the program is over, I'm going to read about this. Uh, California governor declares state of emergency in connection with the methane leak. But here's the thing. No state funds will be used to fix it, but some gas storage sites must now be monitored. On Wednesday evening, California Governor Jerry Brown declared a state of emergency in Los Angeles County in connection with a massive natural gas leak that's ongoing at a Southern California gas company storage facility. The leak, which began on October 23rd, has been spewing methane in the air at the rate of tens of thousands of kilograms per hour. Governor Brown's declaration of a state of emergency requires that SoCal Gas and other gas storage facility operators throughout California start conducting daily inspections of wellheads and implement infrared imaging technology to detect leaks. Facility operators will have to monitor the wells for mechanical integrity, gas pressure, and safety on an ongoing basis. The emergency declaration doesn't earmark any state funds to help fund a cleanup, but it orders the California Public Utilities Commission to ensure that Southern California Gas Company covers costs related to the natural gas leak and its response while protecting ratepayers. 
The leaking storage facility is located in the Alicio Canyon area just north of Los Angeles, close to the community of Porter Ranch. SoCal Gas has insisted that the leaking methane is not damaging to human health, but it has relocated thousands of Porter Ranch residents due to the fact that the odorless, colorless, very flammable methane is treated with chemicals that can cause headaches, nausea, and nosebleeds. The most pressing concern, however, is that methane is a very potent greenhouse gas whose impacts can be tens, hundreds, or even thousands of times greater than that of carbon dioxide, according to the California Air Resources Board, which has Stan the Mechanic as a member. Although methane's impact on the atmosphere is shorter lived than CO2's, SoCal Gas began digging a relief well after other methods of trying to stop the leak failed. The company has estimated that it could take up to four months to plug the leaking well. As part of his declaration yesterday evening, Governor Brown said that SoCal Gas must withdraw as much of the leaking natural gas from the storage facility as it can, as fast as it can, and it must try to capture leaking gas while relief wells are being drilled. Earlier this week, SoCal Gas installed mesh screens over the leak site to protect an oily mist of gas and brine water that has started to emanate from the leak into the air. According to the Los Angeles Times, Porter Ranch residents are finding droplets of dark brown residue on their homes, vehicles, fish ponds, and gardens. Some are collecting samples on dinner plates, then forwarding photographs of the material to their lawyers. Reused oil wells. How did SoCal Gas get these wells so deep? The natural gas storage wells at Alicio Canyon are actually cavities in the earth that used to hold oil. The 115 wells were sucked dry of their oil, and then the abandoned oil field was repurposed in the 1970s to hold 86 billion cubic feet of natural gas, according to the Los Angeles Daily News. Even today, Alicio Canyon is one of the biggest natural gas storage facilities in the country. The California Office of Emergency Services also set up a website to act as a porthole portal for daily updates on the lake. As of Thursday, the site reported that the main relief well, there's a second relief well being drilled in case the first doesn't work, has been drilled to a depth of 5,393 feet. The sandstone storage area for the natural gas is located 85,000 to 87,000 feet below the ground. Other orders in Governor Brown's emergency declaration require SoCal Gas to come up with another plan of action if its relief well and its backup relief well both fail. In addition, the gas storage company is prohibited from injecting, um, from, in, in, from injecting more gas into the non-leaking wells at Alicio Canyon. Um, storage facility until a comprehensive review of the safety of the storage wells and the air quality of the surrounding community utilizing independent experts is completed. Groups like the Environmental Defense Fund, which released a spooky infra- aerial infrared video of the methane plume last month, have said that the Alicio Canyon leak underscores the fact that there are gas leaks on a smaller scale every day due to infrastructure that utilities fail to replace in a timely fashion. While applauding Brown's action, EDF noted, leaks from the oil and gas industry occur every day, and Alicio Canyon is an extreme example of what can happen when companies don't properly monitor and maintain aging oil and gas infrastructure. I've got a great idea for them. Okay. In an earthquake zone, (laughs) don't store shit underground. (laughs) Quite simple. (laughs) <laughs> I'm I'm amazed though that their priorities are going after vaping when shit like this is happening. Yeah, they're they're on like 
one of the biggest fault lines in the world. Mm-hmm. They have no fucking water. And they've got, you know, natural gas plumes spewing into the air. No problem, though. It's that evil vaping and smoking that'll kill you. Yeah. It's fucking unbelievable. And that's the, that's the government for you, I guess. Well, I mean, I've always found it suspicious when they uh, repurpose things like oil wells for gas storage. Because, as I say, especially when you're in an earthquake zone, it's like there are going to be repercussions eventually. Because that's how, in a lot of cases, they knew the oil was there in the first place. Right. There's an earthquake. All this black shit leaked up out of the ground afterwards. Oh, oil. Yeah. Better drill that, dig that out. Yeah. <laughs> it's frightening. Yeah. I mean, the amount of dumb is what scares me. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know about carbon capture, yeah? Mm-hmm. I do. They're, they're doing similar with that. Okay. Oh, we have these old uh, oil wells. Mm-hmm. Well, pump all the excess CO2 in there. It's like, really? Do you think that's a good idea? Yeah, um, I mean... That is ridiculous. I I can't tell you how much it bothers me that this is the sort of thing that goes on. And I would bet you most people, A, don't know, and B, don't care. Yeah. And... And, and of course, fracking is completely safe and doesn't cause earthquakes. We've done fracking since the 30s. And we used to do it in a way that was pretty safe. You know, we didn't drill as deep. We didn't pump as many horrible chemicals in. Um, we, We just did this in a safer way. Now, what happened is the Environmental Protection Agency released new regulations that there was a certain way we had to frack now. And the way that they're making us frack and the chemicals that they're using, because they used to just use saltwater brine. Yep. Right? Seawater. Nothing's really much safer than that. Well, and and it's yeah. really good, because it's, it's reasonably close to the density of oil, funnily enough. Yeah. I mean, it, and it, it worked well. There were less problems. There were less health hazards. You know, people didn't have... Quite the issues that they have now. Like I said, I don't know. Yeah, it's oh, there's um, there's a couple of nice earthquakes in the north of England recently, close to one of the sites where they're fracking. Well, yeah. What kills me is your your David Cameron wants to allow fracking in sites that are already underwater. Yeah. they were land sites up until recently, and they flooded, and he still wants to allow fracking there. I don't... There's something demented happening with our leaders. I call them our leaders. I mean, I didn't elect the fuckers. Most people I know didn't elect them. Um, when you actually look at the results of the last election the United Kingdom had, you can't took quite a lot of seats but they weren't given to them so um, I guess there's something to be said for not getting what you vote for Um, but um, either the way we vote counts or it doesn't and apparently 
in the UK, like in the US, it doesn't. It either counts way too much in some places and not enough in other places. Um, it, it's just crazy. Yeah. But I mean, they, they need to stop pretend that they're doing anything for us. Just get up and tell the truth. Well, it's Monday and we're here to tell you how we're going to screw more money away from you. Or it's Monday and we're taking more money out of your accounts. It's Monday and we're seizing your money from the bank because the banks are failing and screw you. I mean, I, what could, if they didn't use pretext and false language to create the picture of something else happening and just told you what was happening... People would be out there with torches and pitchforks in the street going after these fuckers. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm pretty correct in that assumption. If your politician stood up and told you, we think you're smart enough to elect us, but you're too goddamn stupid to run your own lives. So here's these 12 people who are going to decide exactly how you're going to live. Uh, I think we'd go after them. No questions asked. They yeah. would not come out of it unscathed but they use double speak and they use deceptive language um it's amazing how well that works as a psychological tool with the human mind and what it leads to is lowered expectations in the population well you know i can't really be free here but if they just leave me alone in my own home <laughs> That'll be fine. And yeah. and they're not leaving anyone alone in their home. I mean, look. How's your vacuum work, Barry? Uh, very well, because I bought it before the new laws came in. Um, right. <laughs> the new laws, how how well do the new vacuums work for people who have dirt in their homes? Well, with the new vacuums. Fairly well, actually, since cyclone motors make vacuum cleaners more efficient. But yeah, people with pets are less happy. Yeah. Dog dog hair is a pain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm sure they're having to use like rakes and other tools to get it off stuff. Which is kind of a shame because vacuums used to be more efficient um, before the government started mandating how much power they were going to use. You know, or they were just more powerful. They worked better. They got more allergens and stuff out of your home. Now you're living the, the quickest with more allergens, one to get, and you're probably living sicker. Go ahead. Yeah, the, quick, the quickest way to get older people complaining is to talk about the whole light bulb thing. You know, in my country or in yours? <laughs> because, Either. Uh, you know, nobody's happy about the fact that they're mandating how bright your home can be. And here, they're less happy because if you've ever read the package directions on Mercury light bulbs... You would think you were in a hot zone when you dropped one of those things and you just dropped <laughs> Ebola all over your fucking floor. Back away from the spill slowly. Well, you know... Move, uh, move I, quickly. No, move quickly away and open all your doors and windows to ventilate the area. I have a confession to make. Go ahead. Yeah, the, the main light in my room is 115 watt. But, but that's... Energy saving watts. Mm -hmm. It's really quite bright in here. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I don't have a problem with that. I'm talking about the fact that we mandated mercury bulbs. Yeah. Mercury is a, a human health hazard. Um, it, it's an everything this. health hazard. 
Hmm? It's an everything health hazard. Pretty Even much. some of the you know, toughest not, bacteria not a, in the world have trouble with mercury. You know, not a good thing to have in a light bulb. And yet, that's what we've mandated for people to have in their homes. I uh, see. We, we, we've, uh, we've got slightly different laws. Uh, they're going mercury-free here. So, mm. yeah. I'll tell you, I like the LED bulbs. They're getting better and better every year. Yeah. And they last a long time. Well, they're the expensive, one, but they last yeah, a long time. The ones time. I've Go got are CFL, energy-saving bulbs. That's right. the spirally ones. Right, but they don't have mercury in them? They don't have mercury in them. Nope. What the hell? So they just saved the mercury for the American public? Apparently, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. It's the early, cheap, nasty energy-saving bulbs that have the mercury in. Oh, see guys? We haven't even caught up to the new technology. We've got the early, nasty, crappy ones. So, um, thank you, EPA. The, the mercury ones, incidentally, are the ones that take hours to actually get bright enough to be any of any use. Um, yeah. The more yeah. modern bulbs, no heat up time. <laughs> yeah. It's it's ridiculous. Um, so, yeah. I don't know. I, um, I think we should, uh, if we could get a party of people that honestly told you what happened in the government and what was going to happen to you, I think it would be a game changer. And I would love to see it. I, and I think even people who disagreed with the politics of those people would, would want to listen to them because hearing the truth is just, it's such a rarity these days. Um, I said we were going to talk about stingrays. Please don't play the song. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I've got such a headache. I, uh, I started out the day with a headache. I, I didn't even know that David Bowie passed. I, I come home. I get out of the car and my husband says to me, um, you heard that David Bowie died, right? What? No, I didn't hear that David Bowie died. And then I came in and I realized what a huge part of my life that man was and how much music he had added to my world from before I was even born. And I just been like crying on and off. And then of course Skype did its thing. And, um, I didn't really mention this, I guess, but I should have, um, my friend, Samantha, you guys used to see her in the chat. Uh, she died Christmas Eve. It was, it's been a really crappy time in the past, um, well, since uh, Christmas for me. And um, today I was just um, kind of inconsolable. The David Bowie thing just about killed me. I mean, the Lemmy thing bothered me badly, but the David Bowie thing just about, oh, it killed me. Cat people?
should have stared with that in it. <laughs> what was that, sorry? Hmm? What was that? I said, I wonder how long SoundCloud will let that stay up with that in it. Because um, I would imagine a lot of their stuff is going to feature some sort of David Bowen tribute. Oh, quite a lot probably. of the stuff that goes up anyway. So, um, fingers crossed that's still in the replay. If not, that was David Bowie from the film Cat People. Okay. Um, I said we were going to talk about um, Stingrays. We're not going to play that song, but we played we played Cat People, which was just as good as far as I'm concerned. Better. ACLU EFF join fight to suppress evidence illegally obtained with Cell's Tower Spoofer from the Baltimore PD has a lifetime of explaining to do department. Baltimore law enforcement officers love their cell tower spoofers. They've deployed over 43,000 times since 2007, in most cases without a warrant. Instead, the Baltimore PD uses pen register orders, which both hide the technology being used and allow the department to abuse a lower suspicion standard. Little by little, the devices behind the bogus pen register orders are being exposed. The PD delayed the inevitability by withholding evidence. When confronted by judges and defense lawyers, it pointed to the non-disclosure agreement it had signed with the FBI. Now it's watching another case fall apart. The PD is currently appealing a judge's suppression of evidence obtained through warrantless use of a Stingray device. At the center of this case is an attempted murder charge. The PD isn't quite as willing to let this one go as it has done with others in the past, but at this point it's losing badly. Police relied on the pen register order in order to use a hailstorm cell site simulator, a newer version of the Stingray that can track 4G LTE phones. They tracked Andrew's phone. That's the person who is suspected as being guilty of murder to a Baltimore home and found him inside. As the prosecution of Mr. Andrews moved forward, police doubled down on their secrecy. They repeatedly failed to comply with the obligation to disclose to the defense attorney that they'd used the technology, only admitting it under pressure at the, as the scheduled trial, trial date approached. In June, after holding a hearing where Baltimore police were finally forced to testify about using the hailstorm, a judge concluded that the cops had intentionally withheld information from the defense in violation of their legal disclosure obligations. In August, another judge granted Andrew's motion to suppress evidence obtained as a result of the hailstorm use. The judge concluded that the use of the hailstorm without a warrant violated the Fourth Amendment and that the government's decision to hide their intent to use the device when applying for a pen register order meant that the use of the hailstorm was never authorized by a judge. As the ACLU notes, this is quite possibly the first time a judge has granted a motion to suppress evidence obtained by warrantless use of a stingray device. This one is an upgraded version known as the Hailstorm. The Baltimore PD must really want to take Karen Andrews down because it hasn't offered to dismiss the charges and is actively fighting the suppression order. The ACLU's amicus brief, written in conjunction with the Electronic Frontier Foundation, details the misleading and unconstitutional use of pen register orders to obtain more data and in a more intrusive manner than would normally be gathered through old-school trap-and-trace methods. Traditionally, courts recognize a pen register device operated by the phone company that records numbers dialed by a phone. Smith v. Maryland, 422 U.S. 735, 736, and 1, 1979. Although pen registers may also record other routing, addressing, or signaling information, 
the government here sought a pen register order to authorize use of a pen register and cellular tracking device. Maryland's pen register statute makes no provision for or even mention of a cellular tracking device. Without a description from the government of what it meant by cellular tracking device, it would have been near impossible for the issuing judge to know that the government was in fact referring to a hailstorm. Even more unlikely, it would have been the court's independent understanding that unlike a true pen register, a hailstorm does not merely record, but broadcast signals that penetrates the walls of every private home in its vicinity and forces responses from bystanders' phones. The documents obtained by the ACLU also obtained the oral transcripts of August's suppression hearing. There are a few gems to be gleaned from this earlier record, like the previous judge's determination that the detective who participated in a willful and egregious discovery violation was no longer a credible state witness and should not be permitted to testify. The other highlight is the court shutting down the good faith exception, basically telling the state's lawyer that willfully misleading a judge by applying for a pen register order to obscure the use of the hailstorm is a bad faith act, and any further actions, not just evidence, are tainted by this point of origin. The court is not persuaded, nor do I think it's applicable in this particular case, because it is a violation of the Fourth Amendment that led them here, where the defendant was arrested. So in terms of good faith, the good faith is the bad faith in illegally essentially locating him or locating him through the use of hailstorm in violation of his Fourth Amendment rights. And so it's to me, I think the good faith exception doesn't really apply here. What's being asked of the government isn't much, just a modicum of respect for citizens' rights and civil liberties. If you're going to use a cell tower spoofer, get a warrant, and then turn that information over to the defendants so the playing field is somewhat level when they go to trial. But the government continues to treat these requests as obnoxious impositions at best and a threat to law enforcement efficiency. Yeah, coming soon to a legislature near you will be... <laughs> Uh, a rather prosaic description of cellular tracking device so that they'll then be able to add it into their <laughs> probably you yeah. know and, and the sad part is we've talked about how out of touch judges are Yeah, we've talked about the Supreme Court mostly but all judges are pretty much out of touch I mean you would have to have a judge who is younger than me to understand how much of this stuff works. I just barely understand how some of it works, and I know it's a horrible violation of people's rights. And, and he, to, to be blunt, yeah, quite a lot of your judges have trouble being in contact with the earth, let alone <laughs> being up to date with technology. Um, you know, um, that's the sad part, because... When they don't understand the technology, it's people like you and me, the ordinary people who aren't doing anything wrong, who get our rights, our rights violated yeah. by use of the hailstorm, by use of the stingray, by use of the dirt box, by all this sort of snooping, by all this sort of pretending like you don't have privacy rights because you should have no exception of them when you're on no expectation of them when you're on a phone or when you're reading an email. I, that's insane. Yeah. I mean, the way they want it now is nothing electronic is considered private anymore by yeah. governments basically. So, yeah. 
Yeah, well, if the government says it's not private, then you shouldn't be upset. If you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to fear. Didn't Hitler say that? Yeah, something like that, yes. Something really close to that. So, you know, see something, say something. Spy on your neighbors. The Germans were big proponents of that during, you know, World War II. Um, And if you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to fear. Also something they were big proponents of. So... I think most of us here understand history. You know, we understand that, that things kind of are cyclical. Um, things sort of start one way and end up right back full circle again. And it's because people forget their history. But, you know, we've, we have the ability to look at history instantly. You know, we can go and we can look at it on a computer screen we can see it in film form we can read it in book form and there's no waiting we don't have to go to a library and dig this stuff up it's all there so we have a better understanding of history at this point in time than anyone has ever had before so you know when things get to this point shit is going to start hitting the fan yeah and I think that's uh, globally well definitely not a lot (laughs) God. No, that was it. Yeah, yeah. They're definitely. It's 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 a global problem. Um, it is a global problem, and just to prove a point, I mean, I'll I'll talk about China and I'll talk about the John Doe investigations in a minute because I don't really have a good understanding of those. So I'm going to go to the last story. German spies retreat, revive internet snooping work with United States. Berlin, Germany. Germany's BND, intelligence agency, has resumed joint internet surveillance with U.S. National Security Agency after halting collaboration with Washington last year following a row over spying practices, German media reported. Last May, German intelligence resources told Reuters that the BND had stopped sending the NSA information gathered from its surveillance station in Bad Abling in Bavaria. That move, which followed allegations that the BND had helped the NSA spy on European officials and firms, strained Germany-U.S. relations and created divisions within Chancellor Merkel's government. German newspapers on Friday said the collaborations at Bad Abling Station had been resumed and that the NSA is again being supplied with intelligence by the BND. The station is considered central to surveillance crisis countries in the Middle East, such as Afghanistan, Syria, Iraq, and Libya, the paper said. Officials did not immediately comment on the report, but the move comes amid heightened security concerns across Europe following militant attacks in Paris on November 13th and an alert over a possible suicide bombing in Munich over New Year's Eve. In response to the Munich security alert, which was probably the result of a tip-off from a friendly intelligence service, German Interior Minister Thomas de Misery called for closer cooperation with foreign security services. Um, this need to know all about everyone makes us less secure. Okay? It, it makes us less secure. I can't tell you how many incidents have been stopped by spying on you and I but I would bet that number is very very small 
Yeah. When you look back at, let's just say the attack in Boston. Apparently, if they had been surveilling the boys closely enough, they would have known that this was going to happen. But they did and they chose to ignore it. Or they didn't because they're fucking incompetent. They're incompetent and they're building surveillance super cities to hold all of our data until such a time as they can figure out what the fuck to do with it. Well, That's yeah, a problem. The, the, <laughs> you've got to laugh at the security services. Right, so in the UK, a right. guy converted to Islam, mm-hmm. became militant. Right committed hate crimes, was convicted, yes. had his passport taken away, yes. still managed to get out of the UK, travel all the way to Syria, and is apparently now the new spokesman on the videos for the beheadings. <laughs> yeah, the security services are really good at what they do, aren't they? They're terrible at what they do. You know, and what kills me, at least in the United States, I don't know how much redundancy you have there, but we have a lot of redundancy. There's a lot of overlap. The FBI does the same thing that the NSA does, which does the same thing as the CIA does, which does the same thing as 30 or 40 other agencies do. And we're fucking paying for all of it. We can't see any of it. And we can't apparently get rid of some of these redundant fucking agencies. Yeah. That shit's got to stop. If you're going to spy on me, for God's sake, pick one fucking agency to do it. Let's just pay one tax bill for all this shit. Let's consolidate all the rest of these fuckers into some other agency. Because this is stupid. We're paying tons of money to have our privacy violated on a daily basis. They're reading your emails. They're looking at what you send on your phones. They're looking at what you do through Facebook. They're listening to what you say on Skype. They're watching your viewing habits. You know, they're building up this picture of your life through metadata. And I saw a TED Talk recently about what your metadata looks like. If you can get your metadata from the company that holds it, which is likely your your telephone service or your, your telecom over there, um, if you can get it from them, and people have sued and successfully gotten it before, And then you can take all that data and you can visualize it. It really creates a terrifying picture about your life. It tells the story of your day-to-day life. It it shows, you know, what route you take to work. Um, When you take a train, when you leave work late, um, it shows what you buy for dinner. I don't, I'm not comfortable with the people in my government having that kind of knowledge about me. I'm not comfortable with you guys having that kind of knowledge about me. I don't think you need to know it. We have doors on our houses. Most of us don't live in a greenhouse. We have curtains and we, I have blackout curtains. You know, we have blinds, we have shades on our windows because we don't want to be seen romping around naked. But that's exactly what the government wants to do to take and make you naked to them. And that's well, ridiculous. The, the, the thing that's more sad is there are so many people now who don't even think about it. They'd be horrified, like you say, that, oh, somebody can watch you wandering about naked in your house. Yeah. 
but they put every single thing they do every day on Twitter and Facebook and then later complain about privacy it's like you're telling everyone everything you're doing (laughs) yeah you can't you can't complain about privacy when you're doing that (laughs) but people do people complain all the time it's not like they don't have they do have a good reason you know there there's a point where you've got to have some privacy right Mm -hmm. i mean it can't just be between your ears but that's that's the direction we're headed in and i think it's a pretty terrible thing and you're right the oregon college shooting yeah if if the security services if the spies had been good at their domestic spying none of this shit would have happened and i don't abdicate pre-crime but that's what they're talking about doing stopping something before it starts then show us that it's viable Stop something before it starts. No, don't send the FBI to grab the 18-year-old kid with an IQ of 15 and send him up as a potential Christmas tree bomber. That shit is ridiculous. And it happens more often than you know. Yeah. Um, you know what I'm talking about, Mary, don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I guess China. China? China before John Doe? I guess. China? Yeah. Uh, China shows how surveillance leads to intimidation and software censorship. Oh boy, Xinjiang, <laughs> home of China's Muslim Ungir minority, has long been the world's Uyghur. laboratory for internet repression. Faced with widespread local unrest and online debate, China has done everything it can to enforce its vision of the net in its region, from imprisoning bloggers and online publishers to quarantining the entire Xinjiang network from the rest of the internet for over 10 months in 2009. Nonetheless, Xinjiang, I'm really butchering this, I'm sorry, residents still circumvent censorship and surveillance in the pursuit of privacy and free expression. They use virtual private networks and other methods to get around the Great Firewall. They use popular messaging apps that they've heard could defend them against surveillance, like WhatsApp and Telegram. Now China has taken the next step. In November, a select group of Xinjiang residents found their mobile phone service abruptly terminated. Their phone service providers told them to visit their local police station to have their service restored. When contacted, the police told them that they had been detected using a VPN or downloading a foreign messaging software. Remove the software, the police said, and you'll get your connection back. Faced with being unable to spy on every conversation, China has set up an out uh, set upon outlawing not just the content of particular communications, but the use of particular general purpose applications. Censorship has expanded from certain speech acts to any software that enables free speech. In Xinjiang, there are no innocent users of certain programs because the software itself is a crime. It may not be just Xinjiang where ordinary users are being punished for their use of particular software. Last year, EFF spoke to a Chinese internet user from outside Xinjiang who had a similar experience. They too were contacted by the authorities shortly after using a VPN for the first time on their family's broadband connection. A telephone call from an unknown source called and instructed them to stop using the software. 
It is unclear whether the call was from a local internet provider or one of China's multiple internet security services. Back in Xinjiang, China has now started using other elements of state control to police software use. It wrote Checkpoints, the New York Times outgoing China's court. Chinese China correspondent Andrew Jacobs noted ethnic Uyghurs were asked to hand over their cell phones. There, local police have indicated that apps like Skype and WhatsApp are indicators of subversive behavior. We've understood for a long time that internet censorship requires pervasive surveillance. A centralized sensor needs to know everything you're looking at so that it can block what it does not want you to see. What China's new strategy demonstrates is that relationship works the other way, Pervasive surveillance requires censorship of software and services. Mandating backdoors or outlawing encryption can't stop anyone from using secure tools or working encryption. So to achieve that privacy goal, governments will also need to censor the kinds of software computer users can download or execute. Backdoors lead to checkpoints and to software censorship. Are we going to allow a means of communication which simply isn't possible to read, asked David Cameron a year ago. He answered his own question. No, we must not. But has he, and have all the other policymakers considering a backdoor policy, considered all the consequences? Are they intent on walking blindly into Xinjiang? It is not walking blindly. They want it. It's fucking ridiculous. That's, that's, that's your warning. Yeah. But yeah, the... China, the way it treats the the Uyghurs is uh, insane. China treats its people terrible. I mean, it really is like a huge <clears throat> human rights, you know, it really abuses human beings and treats them terribly. But, yeah. Okay, so I said we talk about the John Doe case. I know nothing about this. What you have to understand is that Watchdog has been watching this and they've written over 300 stories about it. So it's a pretty big deal. John Doe prosecutor delivers letters to the people he spied on, Madison, Wisconsin. He walked into work Tuesday morning to find he had received an unbelievable notice. Opening the manila envelope, the Wisconsin conservative... Um, learned that government agents had secretly seized his emails, professional and personal, sent and received over a two-year period beginning January 1, 2009. He also found he had, without his knowledge, been dragged into Wisconsin's notorious John Doe investigation, one of perhaps dozens of individuals who in recent days have, seen, have received similar notices from former John Doe Special Prosecutor Francis D. Schmitz. Some, like the conservative who spoke to Wisconsin Watchdog on Tuesday, had no idea they'd been under surveillance in a massive politically driven spy operation. Just unbelievable, said the conservative who asked not to be identified. He remains active in Wisconsin politics. It feels like a different country. It feels like something that shouldn't be done in the United States of America. In a court filing Tuesday announcing that he had completed his court-ordered chores, Schmitz informed the Wisconsin Supreme Court that he had sent out 159 special prosecutor notices to people and organizations whose records were seized as part of a secret investigation commonly referred to as John Doe Part 1 and John Doe Part 2. The number of court-ordered notices underscores how widespread the abuse investigation, the abusive investigation was. Over the past two days, I've spoken to people who just learned that prosecutors are in possession of several years of emails and other records, said Deborah Jordell, 
One of dozens of conservatives targeted or spied on in John Doe 2. They're not high-profile people, and they are not all directly connected to organizations or activities that formed the basis of this investigation. Jordal, whose home was raided by armed agents in the early hours of October 3rd, 2013, said the people she has spoken to are in shock, and I feel terrible for them. They have that awful pit in their stomach knowing that their privacy has been violated and their property taken without their knowledge, she said. Investigators illegally seized untold thousands of records from Jordal and her business partner, R.J. Johnson, even before John Doe 2 officially commenced in early September 2012. John Doe 2, the illegal investigatory offspring of the first John Doe into former aides and associates of Scott, of Governor Scott Walker when Walker was Milwaukee County Executive, was ruled unconstitutional by the state Supreme Court twice last year. The decisive ruling coming on December 2nd. In that decision, the court concluded that Schmidt's position as special prosecutor was invalid from inception and ordered him to notify the people whom agents secretly investigated. Schmitz is to return physical property to its rightful owners. The ruling also ordered that the prosecutor had to hand over reams of records to the court, amounting to millions of documents for safekeeping while other legal matters are sorted out. Schmitz's letter does not make clear precisely how many individuals or groups received notices because, as he footnotes, more than one individual received more than one notice. In other words, individuals with records seized from multiple accounts could have received multiple emails. Those are the kind of legal games the special prosecutor has played during his two and a half years at the helm of the multi-county campaign financial probe. Much of that time, he presided over an investigation stalled by the John Doe judge, who in January 2014 told prosecutors they had presented no probable cause that any crimes had been committed. The judge quashed the subpoenas and warrants used in the October 2013 raids. Strong-arm tactics used in the name of a fatally flawed campaign finance probe into dozens of conservative groups and Walker's campaign. The conservative who learned Tuesday that investigators had tapped his emails said the notice from Schmitz made his skin crawl. I know I didn't do anything wrong, but it always makes you wonder, well, am I, why am I receiving this? He said, are they still watching me? Why were they watching me in the first place? Why did they want those records? What did they do with my records? Did they still have them? Are they going to destroy them? We've seen these records. It starts to make you wonder, in the age we live in, where are your personal details going? As Wisconsin Watchdog has detailed in its series, Wisconsin Secret War, Schmitz and his partners in the five-county John Doe investigation operated an extensive spy operation targeting state and national conservatives. A December 2012 affidavit reveals that Milwaukee County prosecutors sought and received secret subpoenas or warrants to seize the email, phone, and text records of 17 people. The subpoenas and warrants were served on a multitude of internet service providers and cellular phone providers, including AT&T, Google, and Yahoo. With the assistance of the service providers, investigators confiscated 19 months of communications from January 2011 through July 31, 2012. The 19-month outline provided in the warrants and subpoenas began two days after Walker's first term inauguration as governor. Court documents obtained in October by the Wall Street Journal showed the state governor accountability board worked with the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office in probing several national conservatives. The John Doe team searched the digital cache for information related to their now discredited theory of campaign finance coordination, but they didn't stop there. The Milwaukee District Attorney's Office, run by Democrat James Chrisham, sent the GAB staff a spreadsheet of search terms that included prominent national conservatives, the Wall Street Journal editorial board, 
wrote in the opinion piece. The spreadsheet includes the names, personal email addresses of former Florida governor and presidential candidate Jeb Bush, Wisconsin Representative Paul Ryan, Republican National Committee Chairman Rents Priebus, also of Wisconsin, Fox News host Sean Hannity, and even former House Speaker Newt Gingrich, according to the Wall Street Journal. What we are now learning from those who have received notices is that the John Doe investigation appears to have been what critics have long characterized to be a political fishing expedition. In many cases, prosecutors seized records from individuals and organizations for time period covering January 2009 through October of 2013, even though the prosecutors were supposedly investigating activities related to recall elections that took place in the summer of 2011 and 2012, Jordell said. Some of those individuals and the organizations they were associated with had no connection to Wisconsin during much of that time period listed on the warrants. In one case, prosecutors obtained a warrant demanding records for a time period that preceded the organization's existence. The illegal search and seizures turned up everything from bank records to political donor lists. The truth is, prosecutors never made any attempt to narrow the scope of the search warrants or the list of people for whom they were issued, Jordan added. And now one Wisconsin conservative who said he was connected to Walker only by party and political ideology at the time had his email secretly confiscated has learned he was unwittingly caught up by the political probe. He said he takes no consolation from the strangely personal way in which the special prosecutor signed his notice. Very truly yours, Francis D. Schmitz. He's not an uncle. He's not a cousin. He's not my grandfather. He's not a high school sweetheart of mine, for God's sake, the conservative source said. And to only get a letter that says, we took your electronic records and we're not going to tell you what we did with them or if we still have them, we're not going to tell you anything, but that we took them is very disturbing. Yeah. Lovely, isn't it? Yes. It's politics. It is politics, but it's disgusting. So. Well, you see, I this just... is... People like these special prosecutors. This is why it shouldn't be appointed positions. You know, these people get put in place... Mm-hmm. And, yeah, they're going to have motivations um, that come from how they were appointed in many cases. <laughs> it's, it's just crazy. It's, it's ridiculous. This is ridiculous. This is the kind of thing I said, you know. Oh, and even though he was basically breaking the law, he's probably going to get away scot-free. Nothing's going to happen to him for this. He might. He, just- he might no longer be able to be a special prosecutor, depending on what the judges say. That'll be it. There'll be no comeback after that. It'll just be, you've been a bad boy. You you can't do that job anymore. Well, again, I mean, we've talked about working for the government is the ultimate job you can't get fired from. Why bother to do better? Why bother to follow the law? You don't have to. Do what you fucking want. And it's fine. Nobody cares. (sighs) Okay. I said I was going to talk a little bit about this fucking thing. <sighs> Private integrity. Do you know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, I think so, yes. Okay. So, since you have no privacy online, <sighs> there are people who want to create what would be a safe place. There are going to be problems that come from that. And I guess I'll read this and you'll 
understand maybe what my reservations are and why I have a fucking problem with it. It's been more than 30 years since David Chom launched the ideas that would serve as much of the groundwork for anonymity online. In doing so, he helped spark the debate that's endured ever since over the anarchistic freedoms that digital secrecy enables. The conflict between privacy advocates and government known today as the crypto wars. Now, Chom has returned with his first online privacy invention in more than a decade. And with it, he wants to bring those crypto wars to an end. At the Real World Crypto Conference at Stanford University today, Chom plans to present for the first time a new encryption scheme he calls Privategrity. Like other tools Chom has spent his long career developing, Privategrity is designed to allow fully secret anonymous communications that no eavesdropper can crack, whether a hacker or an intelligence agency. But Privategrity, which Chom's been developing as a side project for the last two years, along with a team of academic partners at Purdue, Rayboned University in the Netherlands, Birmingham University, and other schools, is meant to be both more secure than existing online anonymity systems like Tor or or I2P, and also more efficient. He claims it will be fast enough to work as a smartphone app with no predictable delay. Chom wouldn't comment on whether the project, which has yet to be fully coded and tested, would be commercialized or run as a nonprofit, but he says the alpha version for Android is in development and that functions as an instant messaging app. In future versions, Chom and his collaborators plan to add features like large file sharing for photos and video, the ability to follow Twitter-like feeds, and even financial transactions, all under the cover of strong anonymity with untraceable pseudonyms. It's a way to create a separate online reality, said Chom, one in which all the various things we now know people like to do online can be done in a lightweight manner under a completely different and new and very attractive privacy and security model. That ambitious privacy tool set aside, Chom is also building private integrity with another feature that's sure to be more controversial. A carefully controlled backdoor that allows anyone doing something generally recognized as evil to have their anonymity and privacy stripped altogether. Anyone using private integrity for something generally recognized as evil can, yeah, can have their privacy stripped completely. Whoever controls the backdoor with private integrity would have the power to decide who counts as evil. Too much power, Chom recognizes, for any single company or government. So he's given the task to a sort of council system. When private integrity setup is complete, nine server administrators in nine different countries would all need to cooperate to trace criminals within the network and decrypt their communications. The result, Chom argues, is a new approach that breaks the crypto wars, satisfying both the law enforcement agencies who argue that encryption offers a haven for criminals and also those who argue that it's necessary to hobble mass spying. If you want a way to solve this apparent logjam, here it is, says Chom. We don't have to give up on privacy. We don't have to allow terrorists and drug dealers to use it. We can have a civil society electronically without the possibility of covert mass surveillance. Hmm. Hmm. Chom's quest for a shield against Internet surveillance began before most of the world was even aware of the Internet at all. His inventions include the first ever cryptocurrency, a 1990 venture known as DigiCash, and DCNets, a scheme he invented in the early 80s to allow theoretically perfect anonymity within a group of computers. But perhaps the most influential of Chom's privacy ideas was an earlier, simpler scheme he called a mixed network, 
a term he coined in 1979. Mixed networks anonymize messages by encrypting them in layers and routing them through a series of computers that serve as intermediaries. Each of these middlemen machines collect messages in batches, shuffles them, strips off one layer of the encryption that only that computer can decrypt, then passes them onto the next computer in the chain. The result is that no one, not even the individual intermediary computers themselves, can trace messages from origin to destination. Today, anonymity tools inspired by Mixed Network are used by everyone from the nearly 2 million inhabitants of the Tor Anonymity Network whose messages are routed through a sort of mutated mix network through thousands of volunteer machines to Bitcoin spenders hiding drug transactions on the dark web. With private integrity, Chum is introducing a new kind of mix network he calls CMix, designed to be far more efficient than the layered encryption scheme he created decades ago. In his CMix setup, a smartphone communicates with Private Tegrity's nine servers when the app is installed to establish a series of keys that it shares with each server. When the phone sends a message, it encrypts the message data by multiplying that series of unique keys. Then the message is passed around all nine servers, with each one dividing out the secret key and multiplying the data with a random number. On the second pass through the nine servers, the message is put into a batch with other messages, and each server shuffles the batch's order using a randomized pattern that only the server knows, then multiplies the messages with another random number. Finally, the process is reversed, and the message passes through the servers one last time. All those random numbers are divided out and replaced with keys unique to the message's intended recipient. You can then decrypt and read it. You have to perfect the traceability of evil people in the untraceability of honest people. Chum argues that private integrity setup is more secure than Tor, for instance, which passes messages through three volunteer computers, which may or may not be trusted. Unlike private integrity, Tor doesn't deliver its messages in batches, a decision allied designed to allow fast web browsing. But that trade-off means a spy who watches both ends of Tor's network for intermediary computers might be able to identify the same message going in one place and coming out another, a problem Private Tegrity's patch system is designed to solve. Private Tegrity's protocol will be speedier than past attempts at implementing mixed networks, Chom claims. That supposed efficiency comes from the fact that the collections of random numbers it uses, both before and after the messages are shuffled, can be pre-computed and passed between the servers during moments when the servers are idle, instead of being created in real life time and slowing down conversations. And because the entire CMIX process is a series of simple multiplications and divisions, it's far faster than the public key computations necessary in older networks, says Angelos Caius a computer science professor at the University of Connecticut who's reviewed Chom's system. It's so well known that mixed nets can be better than torn terms of privacy. The real question is latency. Kalis writes in an email cautioning that he can't fully judge the scheme's efficiency without seeing the final app. Private integrity appears to be a decisive step forward in this direction. A backdoor security council. Sorry about that. <clears throat> On top of those security and efficiency tricks, Private Integrity's nine-server architecture, with a tent that works as a kind of manager without access to any secret keys, also makes possible its unique backdoor decryption feature. No single server, or even eight of the nine servers working together, can trace or decrypt a message. But when all nine cooperate, they can combine their data to reconstruct a message's entire path and divide out the random numbers they use to encrypt it. It's a backdoor with nine different padlocks on it, Chom says. 
For now, Chum invents the prototype of private integrity that he plans to distribute to alpha testers. We'll have all its servers running in Amazon's cloud, leaving them open to the usual threats of the American government's surveillance, from subpoenas to national security letters. But in the app's final version, Chom says he plans to move all but one of those servers abroad so that they're spread out to nine different countries and require each server to publish its law enforcement cooperation privacy <clears throat> policy. Chom won't detail his suggested privacy policies for those servers, but suggests that decryption and tracing could be reserved for serious abuse, something that leads to death and real harm to people or major economic malfeasance. Or perhaps the, sim- the system could limit the frequency of covert traces to some number, such as 100 decryptions per year. Or, Chom suggests, the privacy policy could be written to prevent the service from performing any voluntary tracing or decryption, though they'd still be subject to legal threats from governments. Chom argues that he doesn't himself advocate any one of those approaches. It's one thing to advocate an option and another to create something and say this could be the solution, Chom says. John has yet to reveal the full list of countries where private integrity would place its servers, but suggests they'll be in jurisdictions of democratic governments and name Switzerland, Canada, and Iceland as examples. It's like the UN, says Chom. I don't think a single jurisdiction should be able to covertly surveil the planet. In this system, there's an agreement on the rules, and then we can enforce them. The mere mention of a back door, no matter how many padlocks, checks, and balances restricted, is enough to send shivers down the spines of most of the crypto community. But Chom's approach represents a bold attempt to end the stalemate between staunch privacy advocates and officials like FBI Director James Comley, CIA Director Michael Moreland, and British Prime Minister David Cameron, that bastard, who have all opposed tech companies' use of strong end-to-end encryption. Comley, Cameron, and Merle have lashed out at firms like Apple and WhatsApp, for instance, for using systems in which even the company itself doesn't possess the key to decrypt communications or stored data and thus can't cooperate with law enforcement. Those same privacy features have earned countries praise from privacy groups. The debate between encryption fans and surveillance hawks has only intensified in the wake of ISIS's attacks in Paris and last month's Democratic presidential debate Hillary Clinton called for a, quote, Manhattan-like project to develop a system that would bring the government and the tech communities together. Most encryption experts insist, however, that any backdoor would lead to abuse by hackers, if not by the very law enforcement or national security agencies it was created for. Sean counters that spreading the keys to decrypt communications among nine servers would solve both of those problems, preventing abuse of government surveillance and making the backdoor far harder to hack. He suggests that server administrators will eventually develop their own security protections and even distinct code to implement private integrity's protocol, avoiding any single bug that could be common to all nine nodes. These systems would be far more hardened than even corporate systems, and to abuse the back door, you'd have to break all of them, he says. Whether private integrity lives up to its efficiency and security promises will only become clear when the finished app is released, and Chom himself, despite spending two years perfecting its crypto system, hasn't even tried the final demo app of the app's private alpha. It remains cagey about naming a date for release, the public beta, beta, and publishing its code so it can be scoured for floors, but he says there's no technical reasons why it couldn't be ready for the first quarter of 2016. If Prague Vitegrity's reality matches Chom's description of its potential, he hopes it could serve as a model for how other encryption systems could protect innocent people from spying without offering impunity to criminals. 
You have to protect the traceability of the evil people. Oh, you have to perfect the traceability of the evil people and the untraceability of the honest people, Chomp said. That's how you break the apparent trade-off, this standoff called the encryption wars. Very thoughts. Yeah, I don't think it's going to work. I don't think it's going to work. I don't... There are always going to be bad people. There are always going to be people who go onto the dark web and plan murders. There's always going to be people that distribute child pornography on the dark web. The dark web is also the last place where there's really any sort of freedom. We talk about freedom all the time. That's the last place it is. That's it's it's like Firefly, folks. It's, it's the end all. And once you take crypto and make it breakable, more breakable than the government's already made it, you make good people less secure. I don't care how you try to divide it, how you try to spin it. I, I'm sad. This man was, is, by all accounts, a genius who came up with some really great ways to protect the privacy of people who were dissidents and journalists and activists. I don't know. I, I just, I'm sad. Well, all, all I know is history tells us whatever encryption you can come up with, someone else somewhere can break it anyway. Okay, it might take a long time. But yeah, there, there are now specifically designed computational systems for computers designed yeah. to break crypto codes. You know, the They're thing that scares me, machines. it's not yeah. its not this end of crypto stuff. Yeah. The only thing that really scares the shit out of me is the quantum cookie thing. Oh, that yeah. scares me. Those are... Once you've got them, you've got them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And you are always traceable by them. Always. Always. I don't know. Um, I don't think there's any perfect way to protect your privacy. I think that more people have to start doing it. That more people have to start using encrypted ways to communicate with other people simply to make it really fucking expensive for the government to track you down. The more you make tracking criminals online less affordable, it becomes less desirable to governments and that's the only way we're going to have any peace or any security or any privacy is by making stuff as expensive and hard as possible. So, yeah. If you want to play the rest of the Bowie stuff, I think that was the end of my rant. Bye, baby.
Slashed and torn. And you looked in time Never looked back, walked tall, act fine 
car, 20 foot long, don't cry, my sweet, don't break my heart. Doing all right, we've got to get smart. We shall fun, we shall fun, day upon day, I believe, oh Lord, I believe all the way. Run for the shadows, run for the shadows, run for the shadows in these golden years. Taking you nowhere And uh, I guess uh, it feels funny to run the advert after that. (laughs) But um, uh, as always, we're brought to you by MOSeek.com, the search engine that allows you to find ammunition based on how it's the cheapest among many other ways to search for ammunition. Um. Why spend hours searching for in-stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, manufacture, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round, so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice. Find ammunition at the best prices, fast. Amoseek.com. Um, have a good night, guys. Um, uh, for my beautiful friend, Miss Jeannie, I sincerely hope you're feeling better soon and can come join us again. I'm terribly sorry for your loss. I hope the rest of this year um, is much better for everyone. Have a nice night, guys. Be nice to each other. You don't know how soon you could not be here anymore. See you next week.